Hi, everybody, and welcome to Mecha Dragon, a podcast about all the geeky and nerdy stuff you love. Brought to you by Captain Geek and the Dark Nerd. I'm your Captain Will. And I'm your nerd, Jess. Today, we want to wish everyone a Merry Christmas. Happy holidays, no matter what holiday you celebrate this time of year. We hope you're having a good time with your loved ones. And today, we are talking the movie Gremlins from 1984. Gremlins. Because this is uh, one of the few existing uh, geeky Christmas movies. We thought it would be appropriate uh, for this time of year. And um, I also want to announce just really quickly that we are doing our first giveaway. We are going to be giving away a trade paperback of the Darth Vader comic series. This is Darth Vader number one. It actually collects Darth Vader one through six. This is a comic, if you're not aware, that picks up directly after Revenge of the Sith and uh, charts, you know, Darth Vader as the main character through many of his adventures between then and the beginning of A New Hope. It is a wonderful, critically acclaimed series, and uh, it has some really great artwork in there. So we're going to be giving this away. I'm going to give, at the end of this episode, uh, the details on how you can get your hands on this. Uh, so listen up until the end, and we'll give you those details. So without further ado... Sounds awesome. We, yeah. We want to get into this movie, Gremlins, which I had not watched in many, many, many years. Oh, many moons, many moons. It has been many moons. So let's do a quick synopsis and then get to our review. Hoping to find a special Christmas present for his son, Billy, struggling inventor Randall Peltzer visits an antique store in Chinatown, where he encounters a mysterious, cute, and fuzzy animal called a mogwai. The owner, Mr. Wing, tells him the mogwai isn't for sale, but after seeing the large sum of money Randall offers for it, Wing's grandson secretly sells it to Randall. Before he leaves, the boy tells him he must follow three simple rules. Don't expose the mogwai to bright lights, especially sunlight, which will kill him. Keep him away from water. Don't even give him water to drink. And the most important rule, never, ever feed him after midnight. Naming the mogwai Gizmo, Randall returns home and gives it to his son, Billy. The two become fast friends, and Gizmo sings the cutest song you've ever heard. Later, Billy and a friend accidentally spill water on Gizmo, which causes several fuzzy balls to pop off of his back and grow into full-size mogwais in a matter of minutes. Billy takes one to his friend Roy Hansen, who draws some blood to begin scientific experiments on the strange creature. Later, the other spawn of Gizmo trick Billy into feeding them after midnight. When Billy awakens in the morning, he finds green, pulsating cocoons where the mogwais had been sleeping. After Billy leaves the house, reptilian monsters hatch from the cocoons, three times as large as their original mogwai form. When they begin torturing Gizmo, Billy's mom hears the commotion. Presumably fearing a burglar, she grabs a couple of kitchen knives and investigates. Eventually, she ambushes them in the kitchen. She kills one with a blender, stabs another to death, and nukes one in the microwave until it explodes. Their leader, Stripe, attacks from his hiding place in the Christmas tree. Billy returns home and intervenes, but Stripe escapes out the window. Billy and Gizmo pursue all the way to the local YMCA, where Stripe jumps into the swimming pool. As the water bubbles and glows green, Billy and Gizmo flee. Next, we see hundreds of gremlins hopping down the town's main street. What follows is a chaotic spree of vandalism, murder, heavy drinking, dancing, a Snow White marathon at the local cinema, and other assorted ridiculousness. 
Billy's love interest, Kate, who works at the local bar, is held captive, forced to serve drinks and snacks to a rowdy mass of mischievous gremlins. Billy arrives in time to help her get away, and they take shelter in a nearby building. While trying to figure out their next move, Kate reveals why she hates Christmas, telling a detailed story about how her father died stuck in a chimney trying to impersonate Santa Claus. When they find all the gremlins at the movie theater entranced by watching Snow White, they rig the building to explode. Though they succeed, Stripe escapes once again. They pursue him to a department store, and a deadly game of cat and mouse ensues. When Stripe prepares to jump into a water fountain, Gizmo bravely pulls the shades, letting sunlight in, which kills Stripe, who dissolves in a slow, John Carpenter-esque sequence that could have been straight out of The Thing. Amid the horrifying aftermath of the night, Mr. Wing arrives at the Peltzer home to reclaim Gizmo. He tells them they aren't ready for the responsibility, and Gizmo gives Billy a heartwarming farewell the end. It's a very interesting movie, actually. Um, I can start with a few fun facts about it. Now, let's go. So it was in 1984. And because it was actually rated PG, because this was before the rating of PG-13 existed. And after this movie came out, I mean, it was wonderfully successful. It made tons of money. In fact, it made, it had like an $11 million budget. But it made like, over $153 million, you know, throughout its run to the point where they even brought it nice. back uh, and, pl and uh, put it in theaters again in 1985. And they made a, they made some, a little bit more money doing it uh, that way. I think they made like an extra like uh, $5 million at that time or something on its limited release the next year. So, but after it came out, a lot of people complained about the depictions of violence because they thought they were going to see you know, from the trailers, like a Christmas movie about a cute fuzzy animal. And, you know, then you get the oh, gremlins yeah. <laughs> killing people and laughing and, you know, all of this stuff that happens. Uh, and so what happened after that, Steven Spielberg produced this movie that was written uh, by Christopher Columbus. And so Spielberg suggested to the MPAA. The Christopher Columbus? The Christopher Columbus Are we talking filmmaker. The Christopher Columbus. The Christopher Columbus wow. filmmaker that is alive now. Does and he... The does does he have a boat? Has he discovered stuff? He's pretty rich. I imagine he might have a yacht or something. Who knows? But um, I'm gonna have to talk to this Christopher Columbus. <laughs> but the point being, you know, Spielberg actually said to the MPAA, "Well, why don't you come up with a new rating system?" And so, between the complaints about this movie and some of the ones uh, that came out after uh, Indiana Jones: Temple of Doom, the MPAA did redo their rating system. They created the PG-13 rating, which did not exist before then. And the first movie to actually get the PG-13 rating was... Gremlins 2. Red Dawn. Oh, uh, yeah. Was yeah, the yeah. first movie to actually get a PG-13 rating. And uh, also, this movie was originally released the same weekend as Ghostbusters. So you're telling me that this movie, while being a fun 80s romp and a classic that many folks hold dear in their hearts, also revolutionized the uh, movie industry as we know it today? Well, that's a little bit of a stretch, but I mean, it certainly uh, helped the MPAA come up with the PG-13 rating, which has been kind of the target rating for the big summer blockbusters ever since. Or at least, you know, since uh, blockbusters were a thing. But um, I just thought those were 
I just thought those were some fun little tidbits about this movie uh, that like a lot of people might not be familiar with. But, um, you know, watching this movie was in a way a really nostalgic experience for me because I did first see it when I was a kid. And in 1984, when it came out, I don't think I actually went to see it in the movie theater. I might have. No, I, I don't, don't think I did either. I probably saw I, it. I like, was probably too young. I probably saw it the next year on cable or something. But like in 1984, I would have been like six years old. So I guess, yeah. yeah, I probably didn't see it until a bit later. But uh, it was... I think probably 10, 10 to 12. Yeah. But I mean, it was funny because as the movie was going, I mean, I hadn't seen it in so long. So, like, something would happen and I would be like, oh, I remember that exact thing. Like, even just the way, like, certain lines were delivered. Like, it was a very... Right. Inc- like, I did not expect it to resonate with me as much as it did and i was also correct really impressed with how the movie balances this crazy like black comedy that it has with like the corny like Mm -hmm. christmas and like romantic stuff and with like you know you know well it is corny but it doesn't it's like it tries it's not even trying to be corny i mean it's the 80s so obviously it's it's corny because of that but i think actually this film i watched it this morning for the first time and probably i don't know my daughter's seen it she's 17 so it was it's probably been at least over a decade since i've seen it but mm-hmm. i kind of have the feeling that this is a, one of those classics that holds up yeah i know? wanted to i wanted to talk about why we think it's uh remembered as such a classic and why it was so successful and i think part of it is just that it was just so original you know there's really nothing like that and it and it is very much this blend of like black comedy fantasy uh fairy tale mm-hmm. elements uh christmas time small town you know stuff it's like it manages to balance all of that somehow in a really amazing way because like on you go from mysterious cute fuzzy animals to like cruel reptilian monsters exploding in microwaves to oh, to corny yeah, romance to corny romance scenes to to gremlins killing people for fun and then dressing up and then they like dress up and act ridiculous and like drinking at the bar and singing and watching snow white and then like and then cut to yeah. uh the the girl <laughs> telling this awful story about her how her dad died in the chimney trying to act <laughs> yeah. like santa claus and i'm like whoa i yeah and uh, that, that i watched that this morning i was like oh my goodness that's kind of messed like up. but somehow <laughs> it all feels cohesive it's 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 just crazy it's like it's a it's yeah. like a horror black comedy christmas movie it's crazy yeah um yeah on uh boxofficemojo.com they have it listed under genres as comedy fantasy horror yeah comedy fantasy horror. and it's all three of those it is, but it's not. I mean, there. I mean, it's it is black comedy though, because it's like yeah, you laugh when that woman gets shot out the window from the her electric <laughs> chair that like goes up the uh, stairs. One Mrs. because Deagle. yeah, Mrs. Deagle. One because you know you hate her because she keeps threatening to kill the main character's right. dog, right? But on the other hand, like they just killed a human being, but we're laughing. I mean, it's, it's yeah. crazy. I love uh, the the dad who's the inventor. Randall Peltzer, <laughs> and yeah. he makes <laughs> man of Peltzer, and he makes all these stupid inventions. Like the the first one we're introduced to is the egg cracking machine, <laughs> right. where it's it's like 
got these eggs in this little chute and you push the button and there's, you know, those uh, water chicken things that like bend over and take right, a drop right. of water and then stand back up. And mm-hmm. It's like one of those, you push a button and the chicken head with a beak comes down, it's supposed to crack the egg, and which will then go into the bowl beneath it. And it's just, you can see the kid. What's what's the guy's name? Billy. The character? Billy. Billy. Billy goes up to it. And he, like, pauses and looks at this thing. He's like, here we go. Yeah. <laughs> and he yeah. pushes the button on it. He's like, he dreads it. And he yeah. pushes the button on it. And the thing comes out and just smashes the egg. And then he's like, oh, no. He's trying to catch the catch the eggshell. And then it comes out and smashes another couple eggs. And the whole thing just... You know, it's like, like grabbing it almost flips every over. single one of those adventures of his that we see of Randall, his dad's adventures are like they seem totally useless or it, the, yeah. the thing they're supposed to do. They don't really do that. They do something slightly different that's that you don't want them to do, yeah. you know, and so and it may, he's got the orange later on. He does the orange juicer. Yeah, I didn't. He takes like one orange and put, puts yeah. it in and like a gallon and a half of orange juice <laughs> yeah. sprays out. But it wasn't even. Yeah, it's like. Oh, man. And now as an adult looking at the movie, I'm thinking to myself, how does he support his family? Like selling right. things that don't work, you know, or not selling. I don't know. But, you know, and I had totally forgot, actually, that the movie is framed as him telling this story to someone. Right. Because it starts with his voiceover and he's like, it's like, I got right. a story to tell. And, you know, everybody's got a story, but nobody got a story like this. Nobody. <laughs> nobody. <laughs> You know, and then he's got, I think he's got the voiceover again at the end. And I totally forgot about that. So many things, you know. And I also remember when I was a kid watching this movie. And I think the first time you see Billy, he's trying to start his car in the snow, right? That little Volkswagen Beetle, which yeah. in my uh, younger adulthood, my first car was actually a Volkswagen Beetle. And I had like that same moment in the snow trying to start the car since then. But oh, yeah. but I remember when I was a kid. Well, you, you're from Ohio, so right? we've all had those moments. Exactly. Um, but I, I do remember like when I was a kid watching this movie and thinking, wow, he's he's a – He's old, you know, he's an adult, he's got a job and a car. But now I look <laughs> at him. Car. Now I look at him and I'm like, is that kid out of high school? <laughs> you know? Yeah, exactly. Oh man. It's it's so it's so funny it's to look funny back on that, it. That, yeah, that scene with the car. I I was looking at it and you know, it's nineteen eighty four, so there's no such thing as Avengers Endgame level CGI. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. And so I was looking at it, and if you look at the car, it almost looks like they use that spray snow, like comes in an aerosol can that you like spray on your windows. Well, they it might have. Looks like they had some some sort of snow they sprayed on the car. So well, it might have been. You well, can't find. It could also be because you know, for those of you that may not live somewhere where it ever snows, like there's different types of snow, and sometimes you get a really really fine. Like <laughs> Why? Thank you. Uh, sometimes you get a really fine like like dry powder and um it kind of looked like maybe that was the type of snow but on the other hand it could have been just fake snow honestly you know so yeah but, it, it was just something that i just noticed because i'm uh, cultured in cgi so movies. watching this movie what what were like some of your favorite moments or like what i guess like what are your general thoughts about the entire movie let's start there um like i said earlier i think it it holds up and it's it's a lot of fun it is. This movie is. It starts off with the old Chinese man in his uh, shop of curiosities. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And this bumbling fool inventor comes in, some whitey, and uh, he comes in, wants to 
I think he's trying to sell him something, or he's looking yeah. for a gift. I can't remember. Well, but he's he trying hear, to sell. He hears something. a sound. Yeah. Yeah, he's trying to sell the bathroom buddy. Yeah. Useless. <laughs> and uh, he hears the sound over there, and he like says, "I'll take it." He doesn't even know what it is. He says, "I'll take it." Mm-hmm. And uh, the guy's like, "It's not for sale. It's not for sale." And then that guy leaves the room, and then his grandson mm-hmm. uh, says, well, we need the money to survive, so here, I'll give it to you mm-hmm. and take your... He offered 100 bucks. He takes it. Brings it home. And we all know the rules. You can't uh, let it drink water. No water. It can't, can't touch water. It, it can't midnight. drink water. Uh, it, uh, well, yeah, no, 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 no water the, at all. The first one was keep it out of bright light, and sunlight will kill it. Uh, the second rule mm-hmm. was no water. Right? It can't even drink water. Like, did that not yeah. raise alarm bells for these people? That's um, that's rude. unnatural. It's unnatural. And then uh, the third one is most important <laughs> of all: don't feed it after midnight. And of course, the entire Peltzer family disregards these rules, you know, or at least they're right. not paying attention to them at any point after well, that. Billy- I was like struck by so a couple of things. I was struck by like the amazing lack of concern in the like the first act of this movie where it's like oh yeah it's just a it's just a little pet and you know nothing strange about it i'm not yeah. going to get alarmed by these weird rules and like even after they accidentally dump water on it like would you not be freaking out when that happened i don't know oh well that scene where the water gets on it and his back a furry back the furry back of mogwai starts <laughs> bubbling yep <laughs> it's disgusting. It's like one of the. It's just for 1984. I would say the effects on this movie were really good. Yeah, they were. I think because they they even today in 2019, uh, I'm going. Ugh, that it still just creeps me out. I remember that from being a child and watching this movie. It's like, oh, it's just gross. And then you hear a little, little pop, <laughs> yep. and a little a fur ball comes out, lands over there. And then another one, then another That's one, the and thing. then it just grows, like the gestation period. Ugh. Ugh. It's so the movie is so weird, and I think one of the charming things about it is, it has, like especially where the Mogwai and the Gremlins are concerned, they're very much like fairy tale creatures, and like the fact that it has those rules makes it feel mm-hmm. really at home in a fairy tale type story because that's the kind of arbitrary rules that you get for magical creatures and mischievous things and fairy tales yeah. like it just feels with a dragon yeah you know <laughs> it, it really feels like that and i think that the key to enjoying this movie is if you go into it, it because some of the acting is very exaggerated in a comedic way you know um, mm. And some of it is very hyper real, and of course you have you know the the gremlins and the mogwai themselves, which are you know which are obviously fairy tale like you know creatures and f- fantastic creatures. And like if you let the movie be what it is, if you just allow yourself you know to accept the the slight campiness and corniness of it, because I feel like in a way it plays better towards children with the way that like the acting style is and the situations that it sets up and you know it requires that same level of like suspension of disbelief but at like the same time there's so much more going on with first there's like all the violence in it you know there's she puts the gremlin in a microwave and it explodes you know then they 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 they're killing people and you know and all of this stuff you know but at the same time it, it does feel in a way like a kid's movie does, did you get that sense too? 
Well, yeah, it was obviously, I think it was made. it Back in the 80s, I think it was kind of really towing the line between almost even for back then, like a PG, like like you mentioned earlier, PG-13 hadn't existed yet. Mm-hmm. But if that had, it would definitely be, be PG-13 closer to almost an R. I mean, if there was a little more blood, it would have been R-rated. Well, it's funny because easily. there wasn't, hardly any foul language in it right right and it was definitely it definitely had the earmarks of like a kid's movie in terms of like if you think of mrs deagle right she Mm -hmm. was a i mean she was a she was the type of character that you would see in you know in like a she was the um not the wicked witch but the the you know, the woman the Wicked Witch was based the on e- in, Wicked in Wizard of Oz, you know. Evil stepsister. No, I'm thinking okay, of yeah. Wizard of Oz, like, you know, not the Wicked Witch, but the woman that Dorothy runs away from that wants to, to take Toto down to get him put to sleep. Oh, her, her... Like, she's that type yeah, of character. Her evil aunt. And there's literally, like, a moment when she comes out of the bank and she says something, and this man that she walks by, he, like, does this exaggerated gasp, like... <gasps> And it's just so it's just so um, yeah. unreal and corny, but no, that's 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 the eighties, man. Yeah, but it's, that's that's it's got that camp to it. But it's some it somehow works, you know. And and and, and Mrs. Deagle was a, a she was definitely a villain, just a villainous woman. Mm-hmm. I mean, she like threatened publicly, like in a bank full of people, that she was going to murder Billy's dog. But yeah, she was a villainous wicked witch of a woman indeed uh indeed and so um so it's interesting you know i just had a really fun time watching the movie like it is a fun weird crazy movie and the other thing that it has going on is it's really a lot of the stuff in the movie, particularly with when the gremlins are causing havoc, like all over the place and like in the bar, they were like parodying other movies and other like things in movies. So if you think about it, oh yeah. So uh, there's that moment like when they're all in the bar when like like one of them changes the music to like smooth jazz and it like goes to the table with the gremlin uh-huh. with the hat on and he's like the noir. He's like the film noir detective. And he's got a cigarette or whatever. But then the other gremlin comes in with his little puppets and mocks the whole thing. So that's like their, you know, that's like them putting in a little scene from like film noir. And then there's like, yeah. they imitate the maniac scene from Flashdance. Uh, when the right. one with like the leg warmers is like dancing and then the, like the, the camera flips upside <laughs> down and it's playing that music. Like, it's crazy. Yeah, and that's why I think... It's one. It's kind of like the Finding Nemo. Like when Pixar came out, it really started making those movies that were for kids but had humor for the adults. So the adults would like it too. And I think mm-hmm. this is a movie that did the same thing. Mm-hmm. They wanted to make something that would attract the kids but have you know a higher level of intelligent comedy mm-hmm. mixed through it that would keep the attention of the adults. Because you know, like you said, the flat the flashbacks or callbacks to other movies and stuff like that and well oh, it's it's just great you know chris columbus when he wrote this he uh, never expected to sell the script he i guess he had just written it based on the stuff that i've read about the history of this movie he just wanted to give a writing sample to the people that he worked with to show that he could write but then spielberg ended up seeing it and bought it because he thought it was so original and it is so what i'm saying is 
I don't think that when it was written, you know, he didn't he wasn't keeping in mind the standard stuff like, oh, well you got to you got to make it for kids and keep it this way or you have to, you know, make it for adults and make sure it's like this. He just went all out with as much craziness as he, you know, he just was so creative with it and it just ended up being a hit because it was that creative. And if, yeah. you, and if and here's the other thing I thought about it. It might actually be the most meta movie of the 80s or the early 80s. And that's a term that we use now, but I, it wasn't really in use so much back then. So another way to save that would be it's a very self-aware movie, and it's very self-aware about the various, like, movie cliches and things yeah, that it's... Yeah, the points it's trying to get across. Yeah, because it's not just... It's not just like making fun of a couple like random movie scenes in the middle it's like it takes tons of movie cliches things that you were used to seeing in like so many movies up to that point and it just mocks Mm. them relentlessly so like for example there's there's the mysterious chinese shop with the wise old chinese man that has magical things a boy and his dog racist Uh, Small town Christmas, where small town people don't believe in the danger until it's too late. Um, Christmas family Racist. movie stuff, gratuitous violence for its own sake, and then there's all like, and then there's all this Racist. like useless inventions sold as solutions to modern living that really reminds me of like QVC, <laughs> yeah. you know, that was so big at that time. Yeah, exactly. And if you don't, if uh, there's somebody that doesn't remember QVC, it was just like a 24-hour TV channel where hosts would be on there trying to sell you all kinds of crappy stuff, basically. I believe uh, Mike Rowe got his start in television on uh, that channel. Did he really? <laughs> That's cool. True story. Yeah, he did. He he was on there for a while. So with that voice. So what were what what were some of the things in this story that really stood out to you, and like kept you going on the ride? Were there any moments where you were actually surprised, like you maybe forgot something, or what were the most impactful things? I forgot a lot of it really, and. Uh, just re-watching it. It's like my son, I was going to ask him if he's seen it. He's only 11. Um, so I don't think he's ever seen it. Wow. But, no, I think uh, there was just a lot of stuff. All the little, the small stuff you miss. Or the small stuff that you catch when you watch it, you forget about over time. So years later, like the scene where uh, the mom's home alone and the gremlins are out and they're all over the place. And she backs up into the Christmas tree and then the power goes out, but you still see those red glowing eyes behind her. And then they jump out of the Christmas tree and grab her. Mm-hmm. That was a cool scene. You know, the scenes in the bar, and then they're basically blowing up half of the town to try and kill these gremlins, which are everywhere. Yeah. And just that they're, like I said, when you get the water on Gizmo, and he starts bubbling and popping those out. And then they get when they get wet later on, they turn into the gremlins. Oh, yeah. It was they, great. When, when they eat after midnight, that's when they turn into the gremlins, and they tricked him by chewing through the power cord on his clock. Yeah, that was clever. You know, so it looked like it was five minutes to midnight, but it was really, you know, 1240. Or I whatever. mean, I think it was it was kind of a sinister moment when, like, they ask, you know, for food, and he's like, he looks at his clock, and then he, it, like, as soon as he leaves the room, they stop being cute, and they, like, start whispering to each other. It's like, I was kind of scared. They're so so smart. Yeah, it it's was... like I would like to I would like to get like a, a scientific study on what these creatures are, why they're so smart. Because uh, <laughs> scientific Stripe, study by the end of the movie, 
Yes, by the end of the movie, he sees a gun. He knows what a gun is. They know how electricity works. They know how all these things work. They're wearing earmuffs, and they're fully dressed in clothing. <laughs> and know, in the it's... movie theater, when they're watching Snow White, you have one of the gremlins in the crowd with Mickey Mouse ears. <laughs> yeah. It's like, how do they know all this? What is it about these creatures that makes them so worldly? I think you're just looking into it. I think you're just looking too hard at it because <laughs> overthinking it. Because, look, I mean, they go... As soon as you see that he broke into the YMCA, you're like, uh-oh. <laughs> you oh, yeah. know, and he jumps in and it's bubbling and he leaves. But then, like, right after that, they show up Christmas caroling at Mrs. Deagle's door. And somehow right. they have little <laughs> scarves and hats and, like, coats and yeah, things. Yeah, it's, it's, it's all meant to be campy. But really, if yeah. you look at it in a realistic point of view, how are they so smart? You know, I guess they just but, are. They're magical creatures, you know. But I just, I found that, that scene to be like maybe the biggest that was like the most creepy thing that happened up to that point in the movie because suddenly they're like suddenly you realize they're plotting and it's like oh uh, oh yeah and they want to eat so you kind of you know you kind of get it um or at least i did this time through maybe not right away as a kid or anything but like yeah i don't, I don't know where i was going with that except to say that 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 was when they started to get real creepy and then of course the one in the lab or whatever the guy that he takes it to he gets killed Oh, yeah, he's trying to feed a piece of chocolate under the desk and then, like, grabs his hand. And then he's dead, and it sticks a syringe of something in his ass. (laughs) What is that? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, and this goes to... Did it it eat his face off, or did it poison him with the poison syringe? Yeah. I think we're probably going to have to follow up with a review on the second Gremlins. We could. Might as well, right? We could. I don't. I don't think it's nearly as good, and even I think Chris Columbus wasn't satisfied with it. But we should certainly do that one. Yeah, I was thinking if there was a Gremlins three, I already have kind of. I have it all planned out in my head. It's Gremlins three, World War G, <laughs> and it's it's gonna be like, it's gonna or no? Is that what the yeah, that was a zombie movie with Brad Pitt, right? World yeah. War Z. Yeah, World War Z. This will be World War, Z, World War G, but it's Gremlins. Because think about it. Like I mentioned earlier, the gestation period on these things is like, you dump water on one, five minutes later, you got six. <laughs> mm-hmm. You feed those six after midnight, two hours later, you have six murderous things. They get wet and they just keep... With a gestation period like that, they take over the whole town in this movie in Gremlins. They take over the whole town it's fast. in one night. It's scary. Yeah, if they get out, you know, uh, it's it could be over. But, you know, this is... You mentioned the... Just co- imagine that on a global scale. That could be it. Now, um, to your point, I was reading, and uh, as late as 2015, you know, there were interviews with, like, Spielberg and Chris Columbus and other people involved to where they were saying, yeah, they were working on Gremlins 3 and they really want to do it. And supposedly, I think Chris Columbus said this in an interview, the story was going to revolve around this idea that if this can all happen just because you you get Gizmo wet, right? Right. There's an argument there for killing Gizmo. And so the... And so the movie was going to revolve around this question of, like, should you kill Gizmo to, you know, potentially proactively keep something like this from happening in the future? And I think that's an interesting question to sort of start off with, you know? Um, And I would certainly love to see a new Gremlins movie, but I think that they have to get the tone just right, you know? Like, this movie, 
as we've kind of been saying, did this crazy balancing act between, you know, the the, the comedy and the black comedy of it, and like the the whole, right. you know, and the um and the fantasy part of it, and the whole like Christmas time, more cornier elements of it that it that it somehow did the horror and the comedy you know the horror and the comedy they have to pull off the right like tonal balance there and i think that i mean i think it's certainly possible to do that but they really have to get the right people involved uh, and they have to be careful about how they write it so i would love to see that happen so maybe we should uh maybe we should call up chris columbus and uh ask him to get moving on that pitch him a sequel idea Ooh, maybe we can do a sequel pitch for a gremlins movie that would be interesting. Hey, I think I just did. <laughs> we just need to flesh that one out a bit. Yeah, let's flesh that one out. Are we thinking Bruce Willis or... Uh, who's the other guy? Uh, Shia LaBeouf. He's, he's hot these days. Wait, what single category are both of those guys in? <laughs> Where you're saying the other guy compared to Bruce Willis is Shia LaBeouf? Who, who was the first guy? Okay, Bruce Willis was the first guy. Um, they both Shia. have Shia, Shia, Shia. Um, yeah, they don't, I think, uh, just yeah. for their range. Yeah. Oh, okay. For their range. Got it. <laughs> <laughs> they could, they could fall know. into any role. I don't know who would any be in role. it. But, um, you know, you mentioned <laughs> the cocoons and I, I wanted to just mention that like, so this weird lack of concern that they had when they first see the cocoons. They're like, oh, that's interesting. And he, like, shows his mom. Yeah, like, hey, mom. Hey, mom, come look at this. But then, like, what do they do? (laughs) They just leave them there. Uh, Mm -hmm. So would you not be concerned with something that looked like that? (laughs) You know? I think if I see a slimy, pulsating, uh, lizardy, (laughs) flesh-skin-looking cocoon covered in slime... If we could just chart the chain of events my room. really quickly. Oh, sorry, you were gonna say if you see that in your room. Oh, it's a yeah. If I saw it in my room, I would not be like, "Oh, hey, mom, come look at this." That's what you say <laughs> if you have a pimple on your penis or something. Is this okay? I don't know if I that's mean, what I would say no. if I found a pimple there. But well, it could be an ingrown hair. You know, okay. everyone has hair <laughs> right, on their penis. But I mean. Look, this is kind of the uh, lack of concern, you know, that they're displaying throughout. But, like, let's chart the chain of events, okay? So first, Dad comes home with a weird creature that you've never even heard of before. And he says, mm-hmm. oh, I got it from this this mysterious but Chinese. it's totally, it's totally adorable. It is. So cute. It is totally cute. And they cute. did a great job with the puppet, put, puppeteering. Uh, you could tell it was 1984. But remember that meme I posted on... Instagram or something where uh, the gremlin Mogwai next to Baby Yoda. Oh yeah, real they're, similar. They're that's obviously how, that's the level of cuteness <laughs> for you guys who have not seen Gremlins. That's the level of cuteness we're talking here. It's Baby Yobies. It is an extreme level of cuteness, but what I'm saying is, like, if you look at the whole chain of events up to that point, why are they not way more concerned? So first, you know, Dad comes home from a mysterious, you know, Chinese shop with this fantastical creature that's super cute, and there's these weird rules, right? So, like, Mm -hmm. don't feed it after midnight. Don't get water on it. It'll die if it's exposed to sunlight. Okay, that's that's a little weird, but okay. So then they accidentally do spill water on it, and uh, <laughs> and it spawns like five or six other ones. That's a little weird. Then those other ones trick you 
in a very devious way into feeding them after midnight, which is supposedly the most important rule, then when you wake up the next day, they are these gross alien-looking, pulsating green, you know, cocoon pods. And what? And you're that's not an concerned? interesting point, too. That's an interesting point, too, the fact that all of Mogwai's uh, progeny mm-hmm. are all tricksy little hobbitses. It's <laughs> not like they're all, like, three of them are bad and three of them are good and they're kind of at war with each other. They're all bad. So I wonder if maybe... If you take a good Mogwai and put water on it, basically its alter ego is what pops out of it. Because all of them are not nice. They're all bad. Except for They're Gizmo. They're all punks. They're all bullies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, except for Gizmo. He's still good. So I wonder if that's something to think about. Maybe uh, the whatever species he is, maybe him being Mogwai. a good Gizmo is rare. I, I always, I always uh, imagined that it was rare and that he was the exception more than the rule for whatever reason. Right. And actually, I wouldn't mind like if we get a Gremlins three, if there was like maybe like a flashback sequence to like a hundred years ago or something when he first came into the possession of that Chinese family or something. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. That would be really interesting to see. But, like, it's the comedy of the movie that allows him to be this way. But, like, when he got to the point where, like, he sees those things and he just leaves them there and he doesn't seem that concerned i was right. like what are yeah. you doing well gotta go to school yeah. or go to work or wherever you gotta go. <laughs> so um I, I just found that to be really entertaining yeah and even the cops in town won't they don't pay attention to any of the news reports they don't pay attention to anyone saying yeah. i was attacked by little green creatures and yeah. little green men <laughs> i mean and then there's a scene mm-hmm. where they they drive up and Mrs. Deagle comes flying out of her second-story window because they <laughs> rigged the her, her <laughs> stair elevator. Yeah. Yeah. And it went whoosh, and she was screaming and got launched out the window and lands in the street. And the cop's like, that's Mrs. Deagle. And then they look over and there's the guy that does Santa Claus every year comes busting out the front door oh, of his yeah. house covered in gremlins. And they're just, they're mowing on om nom nomming. And mm-hmm. they're like, what's that? What's he got on him? Well, what is that? And it comes yep. right up to the window. And it's the gremlins basically eating him alive. And they're like, we're and out. They don't really... <laughs> yeah, they don't register it till the last minute. Like, okay, we gotta go. That so was... Like, <laughs> you know what? I actually... In that moment, I thought, those cops are such cowards. Because it is their <laughs> job to, like, do something about that. Or at least try and help the guy. But instead, right. they're like, nope. And they're out of there. At least shoot the guy in the face and put him out of his misery, you know? <laughs> do something. Know. Try. I don't know. But, um, I mean, that's again. What, that's what I'd do. It's like, yeah. that's going to hurt if we help him, so just kill him. <laughs> I think that might have been worse, but, you know, that's my opinion. Well, I mean, look at the look at all the deaths in this movie. Yeah, it's, again, this comes back to the fact that, like, it alternates somehow between, like, that woman being launched out her window and dying to the them eating a Santa Claus in front of the cops to, you know, uh, they ran over, uh, what was the guy's name who hated the foreign cars and stuff and his wife with, oh, a, yeah. with his like, you know, front loader or bulldozer or whatever it was. Yeah. And, oh, yeah. And, yeah, yeah, they can drive heavy machinery. Yeah. Come on. And then like not long. How do you fight that? Yeah. And then like not long after uh, Stripe jumps into the pool and you, there's that great shot of like a thousand of them like 
hopping down the road, you know, like a couple yeah. scenes after that, like they're all in that bar with um, Kate. That scene with Kate. Yes, played by Phoebe Kate. Yeah, so they're all in the bar with the uh, with Kate, and they're just like swinging around and drinking and being silly, and like they're playing like a card game, <laughs> and they're dressed up like rich people. Right. One of them's in drag, and like then they have that moment where the they do like the film noir thing, and then they have like the flash dance sequence, and like they're singing and yeah. drinking and stuff, and that was just all crazy. It was a ridiculously fun and dangerous. Yeah, movie. but they go they go from what I'm saying is they go from really silliness like that to the next scene to is like when serial Billy murder. is what yeah to serial murder and then that scene in like the other building across the street or whatever where she tells Billy this Christmas story about how her dad died in the chimney <laughs> that was sick I mean that was. That was so yeah. dark, dude. That was so dark. But somehow the movie... Yeah, he's like, okay. Yeah, but somehow the movie is still, like, a lot of fun. Do I feel oh, yeah. Do I feel bad? Like, I don't know <laughs> about that. Um, I saw... Um, so interestingly, I saw, like, as to what this might all mean, I saw on Wikipedia. I was just kind of... I, I, re- I read a bunch of different articles and stuff. But one of the more interesting things that I found was about the reception of the movie and the uh, analysis that was done on it sort of like afterward. And there was uh, a number of people that saw Gremlins as being a kind of like anti-technology movie in terms of some of the themes are anti-technology. Because like the Chinese guy does thinks that TV is bad and... Um, like all of the guys' inventions don't oh, come work on. And, well, that you know that might be going uh, too far. No, that's just because he's but... a bumbling idiot, not because it's anti-technology. All of that is technology. The Chinese guy not wanting his son to watch TV is good parenting. There was a. I, I think it. <laughs> well, I think it might be kind of a stretch too. But like, there's a guy named Kirkpatrick Sale, an author. And he interpreted Gremlins as anti-technology movie in his book, Rebels Against the Future, which I have not read. I just wanted to mention that. And then a different... um, So there was this (laughs) scholar named Charlotte Miller who interpreted the movie as, uh, in some ways, as a satire of some of the characteristics of Western civilization. So, for example, suggesting that Westerners may take too much satisfaction from violence. And I can see that. Like, if you think about... Um, if you think about gratuitous movie violence, and if we're talking the mid-80s, I mean, think about the action movies that were happening around that time. Rambo, you know, oh, yeah. all kinds of stuff. And, and so the I, Predator, Aliens. Yeah, I mean, I can... All that stuff. I can, I can see that. I, I can see that as maybe like one of the things that the film is exploring. And so that's just real interesting to me. But I think that overall, it's just a fun, very, like, self-aware movie that somehow blends, uh, you know, all these different things together in a really original way. And that's what... I think that's why people love it so much is because it manages to pull that off and be super entertaining at the same time. And I would also like to say that as far as the Die Hard being a Christmas movie debate going on all over the world, this is Mecha Dragon's response. Gremlins is way more of a Christmas movie than Die Hard ever will be. It sure is. Because a gremlin literally jumps out of a Christmas tree to devour a person. You know what? And that was a scary moment. That was uh, at the end of the bar scene, I think, when oh. she's trying to get out. And, like, that shot... 
where she goes by the Christmas tree, and then like you see the gremlins' eyes are like red lights in there, and then it just well, that, lunges no, that was at their her. Mom in the home, that was Billy's mom. Back oh, you're at home right. While she was at home alone, fight, yeah, fighting right. everything, and she backs up to the tree, and then lights go up, but you still see the red. And if eyes. you think about it, Mom really she took out all except for one of those gremlins in a really gruesome way. Oh, too. she was a badass. She was not she was messing around. She was not messing around. She put <laughs> no. she put one in that blender. <laughs> right which sprayed yeah, the blood moment. all over she put one in the microwave oh, and it exploded and the other one she like repeatedly stabbed on the counter and left the knife in it so right yeah she was yeah, she was she was pretty vicious in her own right yeah so that was like the movie's not messing around uh in those moments no you know man and i actually remember when i was a kid watching that and being that scene, slightly horrified well slightly horrified that scene <laughs> hit me hard because it was very graphic and at you know at the time there was a lot of people saying oh well you shouldn't have shown her microwave the gremlin because now kids will try and do that with their puppies and stuff i, yeah. I don't know if that really turned out to be the case but you could tell that that was a shocking moment that kind of resonated with people at the time because you know i don't yeah. think that had really been on screen before you know especially no. in a movie that they marketed at least to some degree to children so I think we're getting close to wrapping yeah, up, yeah. but has Chris Columbus done anything other than Gremlins? He's done tons Does of stuff. Does he have a career beyond? He has tons of stuff. Really? Yeah, yeah. So here, let me let me just list a few things for you, okay? Chris Columbus. Okay. All right. Here's a few movies that you might be familiar with. Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone, Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets. Are you Secrets. fucking shitting me? No, he directed those movies. <laughs> uh, Mrs. Doubtfire. Holy shit. Home Alone, what? Home Alone Two. Holy he did, crap! He did the Percy Jackson uh, and Olympians movies. He did. Yeah. He also produced. Uh, he also wrote and produced a lot of stuff. So he wrote The Goonies. Shut up. Nope. He wrote no. Christmas with the Cranks. He produced a whole bunch of movies too. He produced Bicentennial Man, Monkey Bone. Do you remember Monkey Bone with um? I don't think I ever Brendan saw Fraser. It. Oh, okay, okay. Uh, he executive. He was executive producer for Fantastic Four, Night at the Museum. Uh, he did Night at the other Night at the Museum uh, movie. I love you, Beth Cooper. The Help. He was producer for The Help. I, I could go on. I mean, there's a few more things you might recognize, but he's. But that was his start. Was Gremlins. Born in Pennsylvania and raised in Ohio, this is from IMDb, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Chris Columbus was first inspired to make movies after seeing The Godfather at age 15. After enrolling at NYU Film School, he sold his first screenplay, never produced, while a sophomore there. After graduation, Columbus tried to sell his fourth script, Gremlins, with no success until Steven Spielberg optioned it. Mm-hmm. And from there on, he went to do all that crap you yeah. just mentioned, which blows my freaking fracking mind. Yeah, yeah. Gotta... So, Chris Columbus, who did Gremlins, is a bigger part of everyone's life than they really even knew. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Because yeah. you listed some stuff that kind of includes a huge portion of society. <laughs> well, I That's am a crazy. big fan of a lot of his work. I have to say uh, that I am n- I was not a huge fan of the first couple Harry Potter movies. Now, I did read the first Harry Potter book, and I thought it was genius. But I was not a huge fan of the first Harry Potter movie because I felt that it was kind of stiff in a lot of reasons. Mm-hmm. But, 
you know, but with that exception, I'm, you know, overwhelmingly a fan of his work, I think. And, um, he's, he's done a lot of, he's done a lot of fun stuff. Yeah. So, I mean, I guess, I guess we're coming to the end of our little, uh, review slash discussion, more of a discussion really of Gremlins. Any other parts you wanted to make sure to discuss before, uh, we start to wrap up here? Um, I just think I really want, uh, Gremlins 3 to be a hard, dark, gritty reboot, and I want it to be <laughs> World War G, and I want it to be Gremlins, because I think, I mean, honestly, if you take the creatures, for, like, from Alien, from Predator, from any other sci-fi franchise or mm-hmm. monster movie franchise, and actually take out the camp and the, you know, them, uh, dressing up and drinking at the bar and mm-hmm. putting on Mickey Mouse ears, if they were actually like horror creatures, where would they be on the spectrum of danger? Because think about it. All they need is water. The earth is 70% water. If you throw mm-hmm. if you throw one mogwai into water <laughs> after midnight during a fish, the, when the fish are spawning, and uh-huh. all those gremlins eat all those fish and spawn all those gremlins, mm-hmm. I mean, the world would literally be overtaken before the sun rose it it is an interesting question you know because they do multiply so quickly but at the same time like they did cause a lot of havoc in that little town but they're only just big enough to cause havoc like billy's mom slaughtered most of them (laughs) you know Yeah, but that was when she was in a house with six of them hiding around what if there were 600 in the house well yeah obviously they can outnumber you and overrun you but i'm i'm just saying yeah, I think they are, you know, yeah. if you want to take it, you know, as that question of where they are on the spectrum of danger, I think they're pretty high up there, Is lo- but it's also super preventable. I think they're definitely above rabies. <laughs> they're definitely above on, rabies. On the, yeah, I think, <laughs> you know, I, it's, I, I don't know if I can compare it to, like, the Alien from the Alien movies because it's just such a different type of movie with such different rules and, like... But, like, what if, oh, my God, what if it was, like, some number of gremlins versus the alien in, like, you know, a closed space, like a spaceship or something? Who would win? (laughs) Who would win in that situation? Alien versus gremlins. That's crazy. Oh, man. Well, see, the gremlins, they can drive tractors. They can drive tanks. If they can drive Mm. a tank, they can probably fly a plane. If they can fly a plane, they can probably work... Uh, and form a military and have weapons. Well, they're not I mean, real. F- they're not real focused, though. You know, they kind of just go with the flow. No, and... they like they like partying. <laughs> they like smoking and drinking, and they also like murder. And Snow White, smoking, partying, drinking, and murder. Those are their top four. Yeah, they're, well, they're also uh, apparently Disney fans. I mean, they loved. Uh, yeah, Mickey Mouse. Uh-huh. I had forgot about that Snow scene White too when they're Wolf. watching. <laughs> the dwarf singing Snow White. <laughs> Hi ho! Yeah. <laughs> and then they're all singing along in the, in the movie theater. Right. <laughs> it's hilarious. Also, so, mm-hmm. a high five for Corey Feldman, right? Oh, yeah, Everybody. that's right. Thanks for mentioning that. Yeah, when I saw Corey Feldman, I was like, oh, yeah, he's in this. Uh, and I guess it was before Goonies because he's even a little bit younger than he was in that movie. Right. And uh, yeah. it was cool. Yeah, it was cool to see him. I, I was a big fan of Corey Feldman. Um, he's a cool guy. So what are your final thoughts about Gremlins before we wrap up? 
It came out in 1984. I would think a lot of us that are listening are probably around our age, in our early 40s, and uh, possibly have children. And a lot of things that we forget about when we have children and are adults are the things that we loved when we were kids. Mm. And I think if you have kids and they're uh, not terrified by uh, little rabid creatures that eat people alive (laughs) and watching them pop in microwaves, maybe it's time for you to introduce gremlins to your kids. This is a great show. It's an old classic, and I I do think it holds up pretty good. I agree. Because it does have stuff for the kids, it has stuff for the adults. The graphics aren't terrible, and it is just a very unique story. It's really not is. really been replicated that I can think of in uh, other films. And also, you have the cuteness factor of Gizmo, mm-hmm. rivaled only by Baby Yoda in The Mandalorian. Yeah. Um, Yep, it's it's a fun romp. It's uh, kind of a mess, but it's a good time. So yeah, yeah, I share. It. I agree. I think it really does hold up. And to be totally honest, I was worried before I popped it in, you know, to watch it the other night. I was worried that it wasn't going to hold up. You know, that I would, you know, that it would be hard to watch. And I mean, once it's not, it's it's really not. I mean, if you don't expect it to be more serious than it is, <laughs> then. It is. Yeah, it does not take itself seriously at all. Yeah, it is an absolute blast. It's, again, it's very self aware in a way that maybe is a little harder to see now since we're a little bit farther away in time from some of the things that it's referencing. But on the other hand, some of these film tropes that it, you know, that it kind of uses are still familiar. And regardless of whether you're aware of any of that, it is a weird, wild, hilarious dark funny ride and Mm -hmm. i would still recommend that you go see it or that you know you rent it on amazon prime or your choice of platform wherever the heck it's available i have no idea i have it on disc um and since since we all parent in our own specific ways if your kid is older than birth they're old enough to see it Before I get to the giveaway information, which I'm going to give everybody in just a moment, I want to end our discussion of Gremlins with a quote from the end of Roger Ebert's review of Gremlins uh, that he Mm, wrote at the time when it came out. The late, great Roger Ebert. uh, He had just an amazing little review of it, and I just wanted to share his final couple of sentences on the matter. So here we go. From Roger Ebert's review of Gremlins in 1984. At the level of serious film criticism, it is a meditation on the myths in our movies. Christmas, families, monsters, retail stores, movies, boogeymen. At the level of pop moviegoing, it's a sophisticated, witty B-movie in which the monsters are devouring not only the defenseless town, but decades of defenseless cliches. But don't go if you still believe in Santa Claus. I love that. So there we have it. Now, real quick, everybody, I am going to get to the promised giveaway information. So to get your copy of Darth Vader Volume 1, which collects issues 1 through 6 of this critically acclaimed and very popular comic, which, you know, you should definitely read at some point in your life if you're a Star Wars fan, this is how we're going to handle the giveaway. As soon as we reach 10 five-star ratings on the Apple Podcast Store, we will be sending this trade paperback 
to one of the people that gave us those reviews. And we're not that far away from 10, actually. So this is your chance to have like a really big percentage, you know, chance of getting this uh, giveaway. So all you have to do to enter is go give us a five-star uh, rating and review. It, it doesn't have to be long. Just give us a five-star rating and review. Take a uh, screenshot of your review and send it to us. Uh, you can email it to us at mechadragonshow at gmail.com, or you can you can DM it to me, uh, DM it to us through Twitter. On Twitter, we're mechadragonshow. So just do that, and as soon as we get to 10, I will randomly select one of the people who sent us those uh, screenshots to receive this prize. And we will be sending it out, you know, as soon as that happens. So I'm hoping to see those uh, screenshots uh, coming in. And then, uh, you know, I'll reach out to the winner and get, uh, you know, shipping details and that sort of thing. So this is something you don't want to miss. Uh, remember, once we get up to 10 five-star rating reviews on the Apple Podcast Store, we will give this away to one of the people that uh, left us one of those uh, five-star reviews. So I just, at this point, I want to thank everybody for listening. And um, I basically gave out our social media uh, and contact information. Sorry to steal your thunder there, Jess. No worries. But uh, Merry Christmas, everybody. Or Happy Hanukkah or Kwanzaa or whatever you celebrate. Happy holidays. I hope you have a great holiday and a wonderful new year. Yes, I would also like to take a moment and thank all of you for listening and wish you a happy holiday season. Uh, regardless of how you celebrate it, you should have a good time doing it. And we are not only ramping up what we're giving you from Mecha Dragon in the coming year, starting today with our first giveaway, but we're going to be doing a lot more of this in the yes. 2020s and beyond. <laughs> and really, the best gift you can give anyone is Mecha Dragon. So. <laughs> You know, get your brother and your sister and your friends around and give them a hug and say, I love you, man. Listen to Mecha Dragon and tell your friends and have them tell their friends and then tell their friends. It's almost like we're all in love and it's going to be wonderful. So tell everyone about Mecha Dragon. You can find us everywhere you get your podcast. We're on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Uh, uh, where else? Everywhere. That's about it. We're everywhere. But uh, everywhere. We're everywhere. We got email. Mechadragonshow at gmail.com. Talk to us. We'll probably talk back. So <laughs> get with us. Yep. Happy holidays. Peace out. May the force be with you. Tell everyone you know. Goodbye. Our music is Overworld by Kevin McLeod from Incompetech.com. Licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0 creativecommons.org slash licenses slash buy slash 3.0